Amen. Well, thank you, praise team. Thank you. I'm going to brag a little bit on my wife, Victoria. Uh, as some of you probably know, Brandy and her family have been exposed to COVID, and so I am gracious to be married to my better half, quite literally. She looks better than me. She sings better than me. She probably could preach better than me if I let her, uh, but I am so grateful for her today, and so I want to thank uh, you and the rest of the praise team for leading us in a time of worship. Well, if you have your Bible, I want to ask that you turn to a very familiar passage this time of the year. It's a passage that we looked at briefly uh, in our Christmas Eve service, but I want to look at it in more detail today, and that is found in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. I've thought a little bit about what I wanted to share with you. Originally, I thought that I wanted to continue uh, the Carols of Christmas series that we've been doing, but uh, I've just been led to kind of Dibby off that a little bit, and I want to share with you, uh, I believe, a very important message that's focused on the Christmas story, which is found in Luke chapter 2, so I hope you're excited about that today, as I am, and as we begin this, let's go to the Lord now in a time of prayer. Father, we are again just so grateful, Father, that we have a chance to come into your house, God, to worship you, to sing songs about you, to be reminded of who you are and what you've done. Father, we're so grateful that we have your sacred scriptures in our hand. God, these scriptures, these words on these pages, God, are not just words. Father, they are the the living word that is found in you and your kingdom. Father, I pray this morning as we look at a very familiar story, God, that we would not just look at it and glance over it as we oftentimes do, but Father, that we would truly study it for what it is. God, that we would truly be in awe and amazement of what it brings in our lives. And Father, I pray that I would be able to communicate that to every listener here today, including myself. Father, most of all, I pray that you would be glorified in these next few moments. Father, I pray that we would allow your spirit to to work in our lives, to mold us and to shape us and to challenge us in the ways that you would want us to. And God, I ask all of this in your son's name, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I think it goes without saying that this Christmas season is just going to forever go down as one of the most bizarre, one of the most unique Christmases, probably that we're, hopefully that we're ever going to experience. I mean, who would imagine that, that this Christmas season, early on this year, that we would have to, to cancel or at the very least have to modify our family gatherings that we have this time of the year? Uh, for example, at my family gathering this year, Half of my family was with us in person, and then the other half of my family was quite literally on a tablet, virtually joining us from different parts of the states. Who would have guessed that this Christmas season that that we would have to socially distance? Who would have guessed that we'd have to stay six feet apart and that it was kind of, it wasn't really the right thing to do, right, to shake hands or to give hugs? And I must say that that's really hard for a lot of us Southerners, isn't it? Who would have guessed that this Christmas season we would have to to lather up in Germex? Who would have guessed that we would have to wear masks? Or better yet, who would have thought that it would be socially acceptable to give Germex or a mask? I've actually been gifted both this Christmas season. Uh, To put it plainly, I think all of us have had to kind of think creatively this year as we've had to, to gather and celebrate Christmas and to figure out what that should look like for our family. And I know that for many of you, You've had to cancel certain Christmas traditions, just as my family has had to do the same thing. But you know, one of my favorite traditions that my family always does this time of the year, and luckily we were still able to do it this year, is reading what we call the Christmas story 
in my family in Luke chapter 2. And just by show of hands, I know there's not a lot of you out here, and maybe you don't want to slip up your hand, but, but, but just by show of hands, raise your hand real quick if maybe this is a tradition that you do with your family each year. Maybe Christmas Eve, right, Christmas Day, you read this passage. Listen, that's awesome. If you want to get brownie points from me, then, then I'm going to give you some. Right? That's a pastor-approved tradition that I would encourage you and your family to do as the years go by, most definitely. But listen, truth be told, truth be told, whether we read this story with our families uh, at Christmas time or not, I believe this passage in, in Luke chapter 2 sometimes goes underappreciated and un noticed, overlooked, not because we miss the importance and the significance of Jesus' birth, but because we oftentimes miss the mission and the message of who he came to save. In other words, while these verses in Luke chapter 2 remind us that God sent his son to dwell among us, it also reveals to us, listen to this, who he favors who he favors, and please take note of that word in particular, because that word favors is what I want to highlight and talk with you about today. So if you have your Bibles, hopefully you have them opened up now to Luke chapter 2. Let's read the story of Christmas together, beginning in verse 8 today. It says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people He favors. Now I want you to stop for a moment and recognize and realize that there were a lot of people that this angelic choir could have chosen to share the news of Jesus' birth with first, right? For example, they could have appeared in the luxurious palace of Herod, who was the acting king of Israel at that time, located just a few miles away. They could have chosen Rome, which was considered to be the the powerhouse city and the capital of the world at that time. They could have chosen the sacred high priest's chamber in the temple of Jerusalem, which was again only a few miles away. Instead, though, the angels of the Lord choose to announce His birth to a group of unnamed, illiterate shepherds in an unnamed field and in an unknown part of Israel. And don't miss what they said. They say, peace on earth to the people he what? To he favors. Peace on earth to who he favors. So based on this passage and whom the angels chose to appear to, who is it that God favors? Shepherds. God favors shepherds. Now, as I've mentioned to you Before, we oftentimes depict shepherds as being well-dressed and cute, and they got their iconic hook staff in hand, right? But, But cute was probably the last word that the ancient Israelites would have used to describe what they thought about them, because you see, shepherding at that time was the lowest class of labor. 
Oftentimes it was given only to kids or the migrant workers. So if you were a Jewish adult and you were still working as a shepherd, then that was considered to be a total life fail. By no means was it something that you would just kind of poke your chest out and brag about because shepherds were the poorest of the poor. In fact, shepherds were looked so lowly at that time that their testimony would not even be considered in court unless they first had it verified by someone else and they were deemed unfit and unclean to ever step foot into a temple to worship God. So the question this morning is this. The question is, why would a holy and perfect God choose shepherds of all people to announce the inaugural message of the birth of Jesus? I mean, what is it about shepherds that leads God to favoring someone like that? Well, you see, the beauty of this passage is that through the shepherds, God shows, listen to this, God shows that He favors four different categories of people. And for the rest of our time today, what I want us to do is I want us to try to unpack these four categories of people. And along the way, what I want you to do is to consider if you fall into one or more of these categories as well, so that this Christmas season you can know that you are loved and that you are favored by the God who made the heavens and the earth. So if you're taking notes this morning, make sure to write these down, because the first category of people that God favors is the poor. The first group of people that that God favors is the poor. You see, in sending the angels to the shepherds, God was declaring that He sees, that He cares about, and that He came for the poor. Poverty is not a sign that God has forsaken you or that your life is somehow second class. For like the shepherds, He has something for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to take care of you. He wants you to to use your life for good. And that starts by giving you something that no amount of money or no amount of riches can buy. For Jesus himself taught that abundant life is not first and foremost found in houses or riches or cars or status or success, but that it's found in God and God alone. By the way, that's why Jesus goes on to say that the poor are oftentimes in a better situation or a better position to receive this abundant life than the rich or the wealthy are because their hands are not so full of money or wealth or dreams where they have no yearning for God. Instead, they come to Him empty-handed knowing they have nothing to offer to Him, knowing they have nothing to bring to the table, and that is exactly who God favors because God only fills empty hands. He doesn't fill hands that are full of this or that. He comes and He only fills those with empty hands and the poor is representative of that. And so if you're here this Christmas morning or you're watching online and maybe you're poor, maybe you're down on your luck in some way, I got good news for you this morning. Because I can offer you something better than money or riches or status or success can give you. I can offer you God Himself. For like the shepherds, he, He favors the poor. He wants to give you a peace. He wants to give you an assurance knowing that He is with you. And if you'll let Him, He'll fill your empty hands, your broken life with abundant life. He'll give you riches far greater than any riches that you could receive on this earth. He'll fill them with riches in heaven that will be everlasting forevermore. Church, God favors the poor. Secondly, He favors the messy. God favors the poor, but secondly, He favors the messy. You see, shepherds didn't live this cookie-cutter, 
perfect life that we oftentimes equate to success. Uh, They didn't graduate top of their class. Uh, They weren't being seen as as being exemplary. Uh, Nobody would have come up to them for advice because their lives had spiraled out of control. And for some of you here today, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you feel like everyone around you seems to have it all together, but your life just seems to be one big mess after another. Your career, it's a mess. Your relationship with a spouse or your relationship with a close friend, it's, it's a mess. Maybe this morning you come and you realize that your life is filled with secret sins and addictions, and frankly, you're embarrassed about it. Which is why you try to avoid getting too close to someone and why you always have your guard up because you're scared of what they might think about you if they see the cracks and crevices of your life. Listen to me, if that is you, then I want you to know that Jesus favors you. Jesus favors you. Jesus favors you just as he favored the shepherds who also lived a messy life. And the reason I know that to be true is because one of the names that God gives Jesus was the name Wonderful Counselor. In the Hebrew, it's the word Yahweh. And literally what it means, it means a reliable guide. It means someone who leads from a place of authority. You see, Jesus is not some counselor who comes alongside of you and pats you on the back and says, everything's going to be all right, don't worry. No, Jesus is someone who can guide you through your problems because he knows the end from the beginning. He he can guide you through darkness because he is the light. He can lead you from the valley of death because he has been to death and back for you. He is the wonderful counselor, and in that way, he's like a shepherd. Jesus is like a shepherd, which is maybe, just maybe, when the angels chose to appear to the shepherds in the field that Christmas night because of all people, of all people, they would have known what it was like to need guidance. Church, we should be in awe of this name, Wonderful Counselor, because it shows us that Jesus came for people with problems. For no one goes to a counselor and says, everything's fine, my life's great and then gladly reaches out in their pocketbook and gives them $150 for their time. Right? No, one, no one would do that, right? No, a counselor is for people who feel lost. Uh, a counselor is for people who feel overwhelmed. Uh, a counselor is for people who feel confused. And get this, Jesus is that counselor for us. And the best news is about it is that we don't have to pay him a single dime because he does it freely out of his love for us. You see, every miracle that Jesus ever did in his life, it started with the problem. You ever thought about that? Every miracle that Jesus ever did, it started first and foremost with a problem. For example, you didn't see him going around town just to do a miracle to kind of prove that he is who he says he is. right? He does that in his miracles, but that wasn't, in essence, the reason why he did those things. No, he was confronted with a problem, and then he provided a solution or a way to solve it. He he healed blindness. He cured sickness. He calmed storms. He multiplied food for the hungry. Church, the good news is that if you have a problem in your life right now, then you are a prime candidate to receive His blessing. For our God is a way maker. He is a miracle worker. 
So if your life is messy right now and you come here broken or you're listening online and your life is messy and broken, please know that God favors you. He loves you. And he has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. He has given you a wonderful counselor to walk with you in the storms of life and what it may bring. But not only does God favor the poor, not only does he favor the messy, he also favors, number three, the forgotten. God favors the forgotten. You see, shepherds oftentimes felt forgotten by society. Not not only were they looked down on, but just about all of their time was spent isolated and alone as they were in the fields that would have been outside the city, which meant they would have gone unnoticed. They were practically invisible to the rest of the world, and perhaps some of you, again, can relate to that today. Maybe this Christmas season you feel forgotten. Maybe this Christmas season you you feel overlooked. You, you, You feel ignored. Maybe you, you want to feel special and valued by someone, but, but no one seems to care. Maybe you're watching this message alone online today because your family has forgotten about you. Maybe you just feel like you've just been neglected, uncared for, and unloved. Listen to me here. If that is you, then the good news that this passage brings is that of all the people to whom God could have sent these angels to, He chose to choose the forgotten in the shepherds. And He says, I see you. I see you. You're not forgotten about me. I see where you are. It reminds me of the psalm found in Psalm 139 when the writer of the psalm says this. He says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I fly on wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the cranes of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Church, do you know how much God loves you and thinks about you? My goodness. My goodness. He saw you in the womb before your mom even knew she was pregnant. He fashioned you according to a specific design for a specific purpose. He ordained your days, laid them out, and watched over you in the good times and the bad. 
He sent His Son to rescue you and to bring you out of the gates of hell. What felt like darkness to you was like the full light of day to Him. He thought about you more than anyone else. In fact, He has more thoughts about you than sands on the sea. Do you know how many thoughts that is? It's endless. It's everlasting. No wonder the psalmist concludes by saying, when I wake up, I am still with you. Because this psalmist, it feels like a dream. It's like, God, this can't be real. But God is saying, it is real. It is real and it's true. And I love you. And so if you're here today, and you feel forgotten, you feel neglected, you feel ignored, longing to be with someone special, remind yourself that you are special to God. If you yearn to feel like you have value and worth and that you matter, remind yourself that you are so valuable to God that He sent His one and only Son to die on the cross for your sins. If you seek acceptance, if you seek approval from others, remind yourself first and foremost that you are a son or daughter in the eyes of your everlasting Father and no one or no thing or no event will ever take that away from you. Church, through God choosing to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, we can see that God favors the poor. God favors the messy. God favors the forgotten. And lastly, we see that God favors the guilty. God favors the guilty. You see, in the eyes of the ancient Israelites, shepherds were considered to be some of the dirtiest, disgraceful, and dishonest people on all the planet, yet God favored them. Now in all actuality, were were the shepherds more guilty than others? No, right? And And they knew that. The difference though, listen to this, the difference though, was that they were keenly aware of their sins, and so it's no coincidence that the angels chose to make the announcement to them because Jesus came for those who knew they needed a Savior. You see, truth be told, all of us in God's eyes are like the shepherds in the eyes of Israel. For the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what that means is that even the best and most highly esteemed person has a heart chocked full of of selfishness, of self-will, of idolatry when the light of the glory of God examines it. In other words, when the light of the glory of God examines your hearts, what He is going to find, even in your best, most purest parts of your heart, He's going to find filthy rags in comparison to who He is. But the good news is that Jesus came for those who recognize this, and He came for those who knew that they were guilty of their sins and transgressions and who knew they needed a Savior. Jot this down. The good news of the gospel is not that Jesus also loves the sinful and the guilty. It's that he only loves the sinful and the guilty. Did you catch that? The good news of the gospel is not that Jesus also loves the sinful and the guilty. It's that he only loves the sinful and the guilty because that's the only kind of people there are. And so if you acknowledge and you trust that, 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 that Jesus died for you and that He did all of these things for you, then you can know and believe that God has come down to this earth to save you from those very things. You see, Jesus' main ministry was not teaching. 
He was not primarily a religious guru dispensing advice on the best way to live. No, the essence of his life was substitution. For he lived the life that we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we had been condemned to die in our place. By the way, that's why the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. It's good news that, that, we, that we could not live the life that He had called us to live, yet He replaced His own Son in our own lives instead. And through His resurrection, His Spirit lives in us now, and He can make all things new. Church, God favors the poor. He favors the messy. He favors the forgotten. He favors the guilty to them and them alone. He says, unto you, unto you, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. Not a teacher, not a guru, not a life coach, but a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And and maybe, just maybe, it makes more sense now why God would choose the angels to announce the birth to a group of shepherds. Because the poor, the messy, the forgotten, and the guilty are in a posture to receive this good news better than anyone else, for He favors So how do you respond to something like this? How do you respond to to this message of Christmas? Well, let's close by being practical here. What did the shepherds do? What did the shepherds do when when they understood and and realized these things? Well, Well, look at what it says in our text beginning in verse 15. It says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You see, upon receiving this good news, the shepherds responded in two main ways. It's honestly the the only two ways that I see that you and I should respond as well. Number one is they went and worshipped Jesus. They went and worshipped Jesus. These shepherds, they, they dropped everything they had in the, in the fields. They traveled straight to Bethlehem to see baby Jesus for themselves. And I can only imagine what they would have done when they saw him wrapped in swaddling clothes. Because a shepherd who would have known that swaddling clothes were used to wrap a, a sacrificial lamb before they were sacrificed would have known that upon seeing this, Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. He was that ultimate lamb that would pay for all of man's sins. And they would have dropped to their knees and worshipped him as a result. Secondly, they shared this good news with everyone. First, they worshipped as we should worship this Christmas season, but secondly, they, they went, they left there, and they went and shared this good news with everyone. As the text, as the text says, they went and reported this message to everyone they saw. And how could they not? Right? How, how could they not? Because this message, it, it offered a free gift of salvation and eternal life to whoever would receive it. Church, our life mission should not be complex. Okay, I'm not, I'm not against you making life goals or life statements or life mottos or mission statements about who you want to be and what you want to be about. That's great. But listen, your life mission in its essence, at its core, should not be complex. It should be driven by by one truth and one truth alone. And that is that Jesus died as a substitute death for sinners and everyone needs to know about it. 
That should drive everything you do. Like the carol that we sang and we studied about a few weeks ago, we should go and tell this message on a mountain to anyone who would listen. Because the gospel, it's only good news for someone if it gets to them on time. But in order for it to get to them on time, they have to hear about it first. And like the shepherds, that is our Christian responsibility and duty. I want to close our time together today by reading to you the lyrics of the song that, that we sang early in our service today. It's, it's the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's actually the carol that I was thinking earlier on that I was going to preach about. But what's just so interesting, how God works these things out. As, as I was studying this carol a little bit in preparation for that sermon that I thought I was going to preach, I, I realized that it was actually written and based on the testimony of the shepherds that we just got done reading about in Luke chapter 2. Again, it says, Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Held the incarnate deity. Pleased this man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Mild he laid his glory by. Born that we no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give us second birth. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Church, unto you a child is born. Unto you a, a son is given, and the government shall be on His shoulders, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Have you asked Him to come into your life? Have you asked Him to come into your life today? Listen, if you haven't, I want you to know the greatest gift that you could ever receive this Christmas or any other Christmas on this earth is to receive this gift of eternal life. Your name is written on that present. But just like a present that you don't open up, it's not yours until you receive it and open it up for yourselves. Jesus is freely giving that to you today. For others of you, maybe you realize that you've already received this gift, and again, you should worship God. You should worship Jesus and what His, his life and His death brings to us, but can I just ask you, are you telling others about Him? Are you living the model that, that the shepherds played out, that yes, they worship Jesus for what His birth and His salvation brought in their lives, but then they went out and shared it with others? Are you doing that in your life as well today? Would you bow your heads with me?